When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. Um, so, let's jump in. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? Do we have any optimists? Just like, I'm super optimistic. One, okay. Oh, two, sorry, a couple more, okay. How about pessimists? That's the rest of us. Maybe you're kind of in between. I tend to be much more pessimistic than I am optimistic. Um, if you're an optimist, studies show you'll live seven to eight years longer than pessimists. So you're gonna outlive the rest of us. So good job, right? And you optimists are like, of course, I expected that. You know, that makes sense. And pessimists are like, yeah, sounds about right, right? I think that um, there's two broad ways of looking at the world. The world is either full of abundance or it's full of scarcity. Like there's not enough and so I need to cling on to what I can or there's plenty to share. An abundant mentality says I have enough so I can freely share. I can give and be generous. Um, scarcity mentality says I need to hoard everything I can to survive. A abundance mentality says I can celebrate someone else when they succeed. That's great, they succeeded, that's so great to see. Scarcity mentality says no. If someone else succeeds, that means there's less success for me. So I need to make sure nobody else succeeds but except me. Um, an abundance mentality says, I live out of a place of personal worth and security. There's plenty and I don't have to be afraid. A scarcity mentality says, I live out of a place of fear and stress and anxiety. I much more tend towards scarcity than abundance. But today we're gonna to talk about how Jesus, I think, wanted us to see the world as a place of abundance. Jesus saw the world as teeming with the abundant generosity of a generous, loving father. And he wanted his followers, his students, his disciples, apprentices of his way of life to see the world this way as well, to understand and enjoy this reality. He wanted to open their eyes and open our eyes um, to the fact that despite so many broken things, so many ruined things in our world, the world is still filled with beauty and flourishing. And we're going to pick up, we've been in Matthew 5 and 7, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, this is what it looks like to be my apprentice, to live and love like I do. And we've been in that for the last few weeks, and now we're coming to the end here, and we're in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. And it says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receive, receives, the one who seeks find, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Who among you, if your son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law prophets. Now, in verses 7 through 8, Jesus is telling his disciples here, these students of how he lived and loved, to ask and seek and knock. And the Greek text used, the original uh, New Testament story, when it was written down, was written in Greek. The verb tense in the Greek is to continually do these things. So Jesus is saying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And uh, so I started thinking about, what does he mean by this? 
I think these are natural actions that if we believe we're living in a reality teeming with the abundant generosity of a kind and loving Father, we're going to have these actions of asking and seeking and knocking because we have a holy expectation that God is going to do good. So first, I think we need to ask boldly. Now, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount already taught about prayer, right? The Lord's Prayer, our Father is in heaven. We went over that a few weeks ago, but I think he's touching on it again here. He's saying it's not wrong to bring your request to God. We can boldly ask things of God because he is a loving father. Because he loves us, he longs to hear what is on our hearts and on our minds, what we find pressing and concerning, what's moving us. Many times, I settle for small prayers. I ask for small things because I'm like, well, God will certainly do those. You know, I imagine God like in a video game where there's an energy bar, and I'm like, big prayers take a lot of energy, you know, and he's gonna run out of energy. So I'll ask for small things, you have lots of energy. I'm more likely to get the small things, right? Small or big, it's the same to God. He has an unlimited energy bar. You can ask big things. Many times I ask small prayers because I don't think prayer works, and I don't want to be disappointed. Or I don't think prayer works, and I don't want other people to be like, well, you prayed about that and nothing happened. So I'm like, I'll just ask for small things that are likely to happen, and that way I'll be like, oh, look, prayer works. But if I ask for big things, I might be disappointed. I think that we don't believe God is actually eagerly wanting to shower us with good, so we pray small prayers so we don't get disappointed. Mark Batterson, who's a church planter and a pastor in Washington, D.C., he has this great quote. He says, bold requests glorify God because bold requests require God. We can't take the credit when something miraculous happens because nothing we did could have made that happen except him being involved. In Hebrews 4.16, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, let us boldly approach God's throne of grace so that we may receive the mercy and grace that we need in our time. I mean, we can boldly come to God and say, this is what's going on. I need this to happen. I need you to intervene. I need you to act. And he's not scared of big, bold requests. I think next we seek expectantly. We seek expectantly. My natural human response is to expect bad things to happen. Like, I don't go too far outside of my lane because I'm like, the bad things out there. Bad things are going to happen, right? But Jesus is saying, if you have a good, loving Father who's with you and for you, uh, we should be eagerly expecting the next thing that's going to happen because he's wanting to bring good into our world and into our lives. Even when something good happens, here's my your normal response. This is such a pessimist. I'm like, oh, now something bad's going to happen. Balance that out, right? I'm like, oh, something really good happened? Something bad's going to happen now to, to balance it out. Jesus suggests that because we have a loving father, we should eagerly expect that he has good in store for us. We should look to the future and say, God has good things in store because he's a good, loving father. I tend to look at the future and I'm like, the bad things coming. <laughs> Get prepared. You know, it's a long winter. Um, instead, we need to look forward with eagerness. Like if you had a loving, kind father and you knew Christmas was coming up, would you dread Christmas? No, you're like, good things are coming. I was just talking to your boys before the service. They're like, here's what I'm getting for Christmas. I know it. there's going to be a Nintendo Switch underneath that tree. Why? Because they have a good, loving father, right? Now he's like, the pressure's on. You know? <laughs> but they're not dreading Christmas, right? Because they know that they have good, loving parents who are going to give them good things. Many times I dread the future because I don't really believe that God is loving and good and has my best intentions mm -hmm. at heart. So, we seek expectantly. 
Um, as we approach a birthday or Christmas, we eagerly expect good from the people who loved us. God is planning good for your future, and he's planning good for your tomorrow, and he's planning for good for you today. That, that's hard for me to believe sometimes. In Ephesians 3, 20-21, um, he says, Our Father in heaven is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. God has bigger and better things in store for you than you could think or imagine. Many times we settle for low expectations because we're afraid to look forward to the future where like bad things are going to happen. He has good things planned. Now, the last one, we knock confident, confidently. As you walk through your neighborhood or your city or your workplace, you should do it with the confidence that you are agents of the high king of heaven. You should walk with a holy confidence that Jesus has positioned you in this time in history, in this geographical location, to be representatives of who he is and what he's like. It's not by accident that you're here. It's by design. You live with the purpose and the hand of God on you. You're an agent of change sent by the God of the universe to spread the good news of his kingdom everywhere you step. You carry the light of the Holy Spirit into dark places. When I first moved here about five years ago to Philadelphia, I moved from down south, and uh, I, I was like, everything's new. Everything's different. I moved from a rural church context into like these suburbs near the city, and uh, I was like, oh man, there's trains, there's sidewalks, there's people everywhere. You know, I was like a, a cage animal. I was like, I didn't know where to look or what to do. Yeah, you're from Nebraska, right? You, you probably know that feeling. You're like, there's so many people. I remember, um, <laughs> If I saw another person on my road in Tennessee where I moved from, I was like, whoa, there's other people out here? Like, this is scary. Like, how'd somebody else get out? And then I came up here and there's just people everywhere. First time I got on the Google, I thought I was gonna die. It was so scary. There was just all backed up. And then somebody told me, they said, Alex, God asked you to go there and start a church. You should walk around with a holy confidence that you go with him and you stand there for him and you're there in his name and with his power, you should walk around with a holy confidence. The guy who was training me to church plant told me that. Uh, his name was David Pearson. And he's a mentor of mine. And I think about that sometimes. Am I walking into this situation with a holy confidence that a good and loving God is with me and for me? Because sometimes I have to have conversations with people and I'm scared. Sometimes at work I walk into a situation and I'm like, this is a bad situation. Or sometimes uh, in my neighborhood, maybe I have to have a hard conversation with somebody and I'm like, I'm nervous about this. Or just by nature, I'm an introvert. So if I have to get on the phone at all with anybody, even if it's about something good, I'm like, I am anxious about this phone call. I've got to actually talk to somebody on the other end of the phone and I can't see how they're reacting. And I hate this, you know, I dread a phone call. Um, by all means, call me if you need me. <laughs> but if I have to call you, I get really nervous about it. Um, I need to walk around with a holy confidence that God is with me and for me, that he loves me, that he's a loving father, that he has good things planned for me. He's not waiting for me to mess up so that he can club me to death. He's looking forward to doing good in my world. We carry the light of the Holy Spirit into dark places Dark forces know our name, and they tremble because Jesus is with us. You and I, if you're followers of Jesus Christ, bear the mark of Jesus Christ. We are his. Now, that, that shouldn't make us arrogant, but it should make us confident. Mm -hmm. 
We should walk around with a holy confidence that we have a loving Father with us and for us. In 1 John 5.14, um, John, one of the, the close students, disciples of Jesus, said this, This is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us because he loves us. We can go to God and he's listening. He longs to act. Jesus wants us to change. Jesus wants to change the way that we see the world. He wants us to notice all the good that is constantly overflowing in our life, good that I often take for granted, that I ignore, um, that I don't notice until it's missing. Marketing in our modern day and age has trained us to only think of the one thing we don't have. Advertisements always are the same, right? You turn on your television. Your life would be happy and your family would be healthy and good if you had this car. You know, like that's not what it always is. Or if you had this outfit or if you had this cologne, you would have what you needed. All this constant marketing and advertising every time we turn on our phone or our television has conditioned us to see nothing except the one thing we do not have. And our lives are overflowing with abundant goodness and blessing. There is so much good in our lives. We take it for granted. Now, um, in the Harry Potter movies, the, <laughs> Harry Potter gets this potion called Felix Felicitas. It's called Liquid Luck. And uh, when he drinks it, it, essentially, it allows him to have such overwhelming confidence that everything he attempts succeeds. And I watch this movie, and I'm like, man, I wish I could get some Liquid Luck. Like, you know, that would be so good. Like, it only lasts a short, a few hours, but during that time, he has such an overwhelming confidence that everything he tries just succeeds. I started thinking, what if I had confidence? What if I walked into every situation with this confidence? Man, I, I'd do so much better. There's so many times I fail because I pre-fail. Do you ever do this where you're like, man, that's not gonna work out. So I just pre-fail and don't even try, you know? Um, Michael Jordan famously said, you miss every shot you don't even take. There's many times I don't take the shot because I'm like, I'm gonna fail, you know? It's not gonna work out. But we have something better than luck. We're not lucky as followers of Jesus, it's better than that. Luck is an inanimate resource, right? Luck might, you might say, oh, that person has good luck or bad luck. Luck isn't a person deciding things. We have a living, breathing Father who is with us and for us. That's what Jesus explains in verses 9 to 11. He said many times, we think our human fathers are better than God is. He says, when in actuality you look downright evil compared to the loving kindness of our Heavenly Father. Now, I'm not a father yet. Darby and I are trying to adopt. We long to be parents. Um, but I talked to Justin. Uh, he's at home. He's watching online with Chelsea. And he's a new dad. They just had a baby this year. And he's made it pretty clear he would do anything for this baby. He barely knows this baby. He's known him for a few months, right? He would jump in front of a train for this baby. He would get anything this baby needs. I just got a puppy, Darby and I got a puppy two weeks ago. Um, he's not even human, and I wanna do everything I can to make sure he is healthy and happy and safe. And this week, he started chewing up one of his stuffed animals, and uh, I came around the corner, and there was stuffing. He actually broke through it, tore it apart, and there was stuffing everywhere, and he was gobbling up stuffing like it was candy. And he's a very small dog. This stuffing's gonna choke him. And I like freak out. I run over to him. I'm like reaching down his throat, scooping out more and more. I don't know how there was so much stuffing in his throat and mouth. I'm pulling it out. He is so mad at me. This dog is so angry. He's like barking at me. He's so mad because I'm picking up all the stuffing, throwing it away. He's like, I worked hard for that stuffing and now you took it away. God loved me more than I love my puppy. 
I would do a lot. I mean, I love this stupid puppy, like, despite him eating everything and biting at us and running around wild. I love him. In fact, by comparison, my love for my puppy looks downright evil next to the extreme love that God has for us. But think about that. For some of you, it's going to be really hard to think that God loves you that much. But he does. That's what Jesus said. See, your father loves you more than Alex loves his puppy, more than you love your children. More than the best parent you've seen loves their kids. Now, I thought there'd be another way to put this verse in a uh, in a very Philly way. Um, how many of you, when you ask Philly, when you ask Wawa for a hoagie, do they say, "Here's your hoagie," and they give you a stone? Right? Like, does that ever happen? You ever walk up, you're like, "Hey, I want a hoagie. I'll take a shorty, you know, a turkey uh, with some American cheese," and they're like, "Here you go." That would never happen, right? Wawa would never do that. Occasionally they get your order wrong, but they would never give you a rock. Right? Wawa's too good for that. Now think about this. Some of us think Wawa is better than God. Jesus is saying, you think that a loving father is better than me? Oh no, the heavenly father loves you way more than the best father does. Jesus is saying, God's a lot better than Wawa. You put an order in a Wawa, they don't give you a rock. They know what's good, right? They give you something good. When we go to our Heavenly Father, He's not just like, hmm, you asked for this, but I'm just going to throw a rock at you because I don't really like you. I'm kind of annoyed by you. You're kind of difficult. You say, okay, Alex, if God is so loving, how come your adoption is stopped? We got an email from our adoption agency. They're like, there's no kids in the system. You're just going to have to wait. I'm sorry. Uh, we don't know how long it'll take. We've already been um, in the adoption process for about two years now. And um, they're like, yeah, we just don't know how long it'll take because of Corona, everything's weird and uh, sorry. So if God is loving, how come that happened? Or how come maybe you're watching or you're here and you're like, I wish I had a spouse. I wish I had a partner. I wish I had somebody to do life with and I don't. How come I don't have a job? If God is a loving father who delights in doing good, how come he doesn't give me what I want? Uh, the Bible suggests several possibilities. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel's praying to God, and then this angel comes to him, and uh, it's like weeks and weeks later, and Daniel's kind of like, why did it take so long for you to get here? I asked God for something, and now you're just showing up with an answer, and the angel says, hey, I've been fighting all these spiritual battles you can't see. I've been involved in this conflict over here, and I had to do all this. Be Immediately, God set me with an answer, but I had to fight all these spiritual battles, things that you couldn't even see. I think we forget sometimes. When we pray, we shake spiritual strongholds. There are things in an unseen world that are rocked when we pray and we ask God for things, and we don't always see everything behind the scenes. So I think sometimes there's a lot more spiritual warfare. As weird as that sounds as a modern person living in a material world, I think that there are unseen things happening when we pray, and sometimes there's a lot of movement happening, and it looks like nothing's happening on our end. Sometimes I think we ask for stones, and he wants to give us bread. It says a loving father, if his kid asks for bread, won't give him a stone. But I think sometimes we pray to our Heavenly Father, and we're like, really? I really want this stone. I really want to break my teeth on this stone. And he's like, no, I'm not going to give that to you. I mean, I've dated some people before Darby, my wife, and um, I was like, God... I think they're going to break up with me. Just let me stay in this relationship. You know, like, don't let them break up with me. And then they break up with me. And I'm like, let them come back to me. Let's get back together. Come on, God. You know, and you pray and you cry. And, um, 
and he does it, and then you're like, whoa, we're Facebook friends. I probably dodged a bullet there, you know? Like, that's probably a good thing I ended up with Darby and not these other people that I've dated, right? Sometimes we ask for things that aren't good for us, but we think we really, really want them. And sometimes God says, not yet. Sometimes he says, you know what, right now, I'm not gonna heal this person. I'm not going to do this. The, the timing for me is always now, right now, fix it. And his timing is always perfect. And sometimes he says, it's gonna be fixed when I return and I'm reigning as king. Sometimes he says, you know what, it's gonna be fixed in a few years. I think that God wants to say yes to do the most good for the most people for the longest possible effect. And I always selfishly want God to act right now as soon as I pray. I want him to say amen and there it is. You know, it's right there and I'm like, huh, God's hearing me. But many times God is waiting um, to allow what we're praying for to benefit even more people through us. God always wants to bless a person in order to bless a people. And I'm just like, just give it to me now. Like, I'm impatient. We live in a world of the internet and microwave popcorn, right? I want it right now. And sometimes I think he says, not yet. Know this, though. God will never give a bad gift even when we beg him for one. And sometimes I spend a lot of time praying for things that would be bad for me. I remember when I started the church, I was like, make it huge. I want to be a big name in front of a big crowd. I would be a terrible person if that had happened. <laughs> I'm just letting you know. I'd be an arrogant, uh, probably a word I shouldn't use, you know, like I'd be in church. Like I would not be a good person. I would have been so full of myself. Instead, God's like, oh, we're going to keep it slow. We're going to keep it steady. We're going to keep it small. And we keep it humble so that I can keep using you. Because I know your tendency, Alex. If I give you big things, you tend to get a big head. And then you don't listen to me anymore. Uh, I would actually be a bad person if God had given me what I asked for. It wouldn't be helpful. Often we thank God for gifts that I think honestly came into our lives on the wings of devils. Like, I know people who are like, I'm so thankful for this relationship that God gave me. But the relationship actually pulls them far away from God or actually pulls them into destructive patterns. Um, I knew somebody who they were sober, they were an alcoholic, they got sober, they started dating somebody who was a heavy drinker. They were thanking God for the relationship, and then that relationship led them back into the thing that God had rescued them out of. I don't think God probably brought them that relationship. Um, sometimes we thank God for things that actually lead us far away from him. We thank him for the job that tears us away from other Christians, or we blame him when he removes these things. I told you about how my dog Hagrid ate through one of his stuffed toys this week and was swallowing stuffing. When I pulled that stuffing away, he was so mad. I mean, he was so angry at me. He was barking and growling. He didn't realize that I took away something that was going to kill him. He saw that I was taking away something he was enjoying. And I think sometimes we're like that. God takes away something we're enjoying, and he says, that was going to kill you. I can see a lot farther than you, and that thing that you enjoyed so much, you were going to enjoy it up until the point where it ended you. Now, Jesus ends this passage with what we know as the golden rule. Do to others what you would have them do to you. I like how Eugene Peterson uh, summarizes it. He says, here's a simple rule of thumb guide for your behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them first. Now, I don't know about you, but this sounds dreadfully inconvenient for me. Um, 
If I'm going to respond to people asking, seeking, and knocking, it's going to interfere with my plans and my schedule and my things, right? Like, if I'm going to take the initiative to do for other people, that means I have less initiative to do stuff for me, right? That's my scarcity mentality thinking again, you know? Like, I have a limited amount of time. I need to spend a lot of it on me, and I'll try to give the leftover to other people. Jesus is suggesting that to be his disciple means giving people the freedom to interrupt us with their problems and their needs. To move the attention away from us to others. I think God shows up in our interruptions, and some of us rarely see God in our lives because we simply don't make time for anyone but ourselves. God takes the initiative to do good for us, and so Jesus wants us to live in the same way. He wants us to do the same for others. Now, this isn't a new idea. All throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he's been saying this. He's like, God has forgiven you much, forgive others much. God has been generous with you, be generous with others. And now he's telling us, uh, God loves you, love others. God takes the initiative to do good for you, do good for others. The life that Jesus lived is lived out of the relationship that he enjoyed with God the Father. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. He went to the cross to swallow sin and death. So that we might live. He died the death we deserve. So we might live the life that he lived. So we might enjoy the relationship that he had with his father. A good, loving father. Our father. That's what he says. He's our father too. God wants us to love him. Not love what he can do for us. Sometimes I love God's power more than I love his person. But he wants us to love who he is. He wants us to enjoy him as much as he enjoys us. God enjoys you. Not everybody in your life enjoys you. Some people think you're annoying. Some people think you talk too much or talk too little. Some people think that you're too distracted or you have other weird quirks. I have this weird quirk where um, I clink my bowl if I'm eating cereal or something with a bowl. I have a spoon. Like I clink the side the whole time. I don't know why I do it. I think my mom did it and then I learned it from her and it drives Darby crazy. She's like, why are you clinking your bowl? I'm like, I didn't even know I was doing it. It's just automatic. Like there's annoying things about us. But God enjoys you. Your father in heaven, he enjoys you. He doesn't just put up with you. I think sometimes we, we get to that level, we're like, okay, God doesn't hate me, he puts up with me. No, he enjoys you. He likes the little quirks about you. He likes how unique you are. He actually looks at you and he says, I enjoy him, I enjoy her. You're loved by God, he enjoys you. And he wants you to enjoy him as much as he enjoys you. That's the God we pray to. That's the God we are called to model when we make time for others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this reminder that we live in a world that's teeming with abundance and goodness. There's so many times when I look back, I'm like, God has been so good to me. But when I look forward, all I see is all the trouble and problems and issues that could happen. That makes no sense. I've, I've had a history of you being faithful through the ups and downs, through the losses and successes, through the failures and the disappointments. I found one thing to be true, that even in the biggest disappointments of my life, somehow you bring good out of them. You show grace and bring good when I deserve evil. Thank you for taking the initiative to be so good to us. Thank you for being a loving father, even when we're something of spoiled brats. God, I pray that this week we will be reminded that you are a God who is with us and for us. You're a God who looks down on us and you enjoy us.